Hey, well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. I just got to tell you, we have like the best production team. All of that footage was shot by our, our creative team, and that music was written by uh, uh, Jay, the, who's on drums today. That mountain bike spill was done by our very own worship leader, Josh Harris, this morning, and so they just offer up everything uh, to make a good video. Hey, my name is Robbie Denson. I'm the executive pastor here at The Gathering Church, and from our staff, from our dream team, we are just glad that you are with us. We are right in the middle of summer. We don't know if we're ready for it to end or keep on going. I know we've got three kids at my house trying to keep alive and keep, uh, keep uh, entertained throughout the day, but we're here and we're just glad that you're with us this morning. If today is your first Sunday with us, let me just extend a special welcome to you. Uh, when you drove onto campus this morning and walked up, maybe you grabbed a cup of coffee, you met a few of our dream teamers. And what we do here is we just try to make this an experience where you feel like we were expecting you. Like maybe we were saving a seat for you. And so we're just really grateful that you're with us this morning. When you came in, you got a program. And in, on the bottom of that program is a Connect card that you can rip off. We would love it if you were willing to fill that Connect card out with as much information as you feel comfortable with. We don't want to take anything from you that you're not willing to give to us this morning. But if you take that and you fill it out, we're going to send you a letter this week. We have an administrative team that comes in on Monday. And we just want to send you a letter putting your next step in your hand. We don't want to push you to do anything, but we do want to lay out a clear path for you here at the Gathering Church and how to get plugged in, how to get more involved. And so we'll just send you a letter saying thank you for coming and a few things that you can do next. There's also on that program notes that you can take. There's a prayer request. You can fill that out and drop it on later in the offering bucket when that comes by. If it is your first Sunday, stop at our information center. We've got a free gift and just want to say thank you for being here. And I would love to meet you this morning before you leave. A few things that we want to let you know about. Next Sunday, July 21st, we're throwing a gathering picnic potluck. And so we want you to join us right after this service, our 11 o'clock service across the street at Lake Julian Park. And we just want to celebrate. We just want to have a good time. We're ordering uh, a ton of uh, 12 Bones barbecue. The pit master goes here to the gathering church. So I called him up this week and I said, hey, I need a ton of, of, of pulled pork. And so we're going to provide the meat, the buns, all of that. We would love for you to bring a side dish to share with everyone. And we're just going to have a good time getting to know each other and hanging out. Well, this morning we're in the middle of a series called Summer at the Gathering. We're taking the opportunity to share about felt needs. We plan our calendar throughout the year, and the summer is a really good time for us to press pause and say, what are some of the needs that we need to be communicating about? Sometimes we'll say, what are the needs in our city? Because we live in a city that's asking the question, who am I? And we live in, in a city who's, who's always looking for the next thing, and we want to answer some of those questions. We're okay with the questions. And so last week, Pastor John Mark spoke on this idea of contentment. And that's something that we all deal with, right? This idea that maybe I have enough, or maybe it's bigger for you. Maybe you just wonder if you are enough. And Pastor John Mark spoke to that idea last week. Well, this morning, I want to I talk about this idea of greatness. The, the message title today is The Greatest of All Time. It's an age-old debate. Who is the GOAT? 
Who is the greatest of all time? And you oftentimes hear this debate in the sports world, right? So who's the greatest golfer of all time? Jack Nicklaus or, help me out, Tiger Woods. Or maybe it's basketball for you. Who's the greatest of all time? Michael Jordan or LeBron James, right? Or, or, or maybe sports isn't your thing. Maybe for you it's who would win in a fight, Batman or, I was going to say Robin. I have Superhero Sunday and Gather Kids, and I keep telling all the kids that I'm Robin, and I have a hidden, um, a hidden like, suit underneath this, and they're all going to be disappointed when afterwards they come to me looking for it, and I don't have anything for them. But who would win in a fight, Batman or Superman? I know some of you aren't invested in sports, but you're very invested in that great debate. Uh, here's a great example of, of what it means to be the greatest of all time. Our U.S. women's national soccer team just won the World Cup, didn't they? Amen. That'll preach. That'll preach. You know what? A couple of weeks ago, we have an Englishman here at the church. And a couple of weeks ago, he came up to me and said, Robbie, we play you today. And I always tell people, all my accents just go back to Australian. So just bear with me. Robbie, we play you today, and we're going to beat you, and I'm going to talk a lot of smack when we do. Uh, he's here right now. He sounds like he's from England. If you talk to him after service, you can point and laugh. You have my permission. The U.S. women's team went on to beat England. England got fourth place. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And we went on to be... Come the greatest team of all. <laughs> See, <laughs> when you have a microphone, you can do so many things. <laughs> no, so that's what I, I want to talk about, that idea today of being the greatest of all time. And I'm convinced that there is something inside of each of us that desires to be great. And you may sit here and say, there was a season in my life where, yes, greatness was on the horizon, but that's far past me. Or maybe you're here today and you thought, well, I've pursued greatness. I've pursued the degree or the career or the relationship and it, it surpassed me. And this idea, I don't want to hear talk about greatness because I don't feel great. In fact, I feel terrible. Well, I, I believe there's still a craving in all of us to be great. A great husband, a great wife, a mother, a father, an employee, or just maybe a great person. We all want to be great, and I would like to suggest that our desire for greatness is not in and of itself a bad thing. It can lead down some dark paths, but I don't believe that the desire to be great is a negative thing in our lives. In fact, I believe God puts that desire and that pursuit of greatness inside of us. The disconnect comes and the friction comes when we misidentify what greatness really is. When we begin to look at how the world defines greatness and how scripture defines greatness and how Jesus talks about what it means to be great, those two things do not run in side by side. In fact, they run in contrast to one another. And I want to show you what I'm talking about this morning. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry and he's hinting at that to the disciples and they begin to see the writing on the wall and Jesus has talked about this idea of becoming king. And so the disciples are thinking, oh, Jesus is going to become king. And when they say king, they mean king. They mean the, the, the crown, the throne, the power, the authority, the lordship. And so a few of the disciples pull Jesus aside, James and John, and they begin to ask for position in the kingdom. They begin to ask for power in the kingdom. Listen to what they say in Mark chapter 10. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. 
Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. These guys were jockeying for position, for greatness. They wanted a title. They wanted to be recognized. And it was running rampant throughout all of the disciples. They were all talking about this idea of position when Jesus becomes king. When the other 10 disciples heard what James and John had done, they were were upset with James and John. And I want you to listen to how Jesus responds to their request for position and power when Jesus becomes king. It says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. I love what Jesus says here. In a moment, he is trying to create a paradigm shift for his followers. He says, not so with you. What does Jesus mean when he says, not so with you? Who is the you that Jesus is referring to. Jesus is talking about his followers. He's talking about the Christians. He's saying to be great in the world means you have the leverage. You have the authority to rule over people. But that's not so with people who follow me. He goes on to say, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, the greatest of all time, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here we have, in a single conversation with his disciples, Jesus flips the script of what it means to be great. These guys have never heard anything like this. For these men in the era in which they were living... To have power, to have position, to have authority meant you were great. It meant you were great. And we see Jesus teach this principle of greatness again and again throughout Scripture. We see it again in the Gospel of John. I want to show you another time when Jesus teaches this idea. One of the last acts that Jesus would do here on earth is he would wash his disciples' feet. And many of you know the story, but... Jesus, the Thursday before he would go to the cross, they were celebrating the Passover dinner. And at these ceremonies, there was always a foot washer. There was somebody designated to be the foot washer. And, you know, in in these days, they were traveling oftentimes barefoot and they would get dirty all the way up the leg. And it it was just a sign of decency. It was just a way to freshen up for them to clean the lower part of their legs. And so someone would have to do that. And oftentimes it would be a lowly person in the house or a person who, who was hired to do this and kind of work around the house. And there needed to be a designated foot washer. And they get to the ceremony, they get to the Passover, and they've not designated anyone. And on this occasion, Jesus designates himself to be the foot washer. And the Bible tells us that Jesus would go on to take off his outer robe. He would grab a bucket of water. He would get down on his knees and he would begin to wash the disciples' feet. And as the disciples' feet are being washed, you you just got to know they're thinking, well, I know that I didn't want to be designated the foot washer, but he certainly shouldn't be designated the foot washer. He's the greatest in the room. 
Why are we making him do this? And he gets to Peter and Peter says, no, Jesus, you, you can't wash my feet. This isn't right. Let's, let's turn the table here. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here to do this. I want to do this for you. And Peter says, no, Jesus, I'm unworthy of this. And then I love what Jesus says. He says, Peter, listen to me. If you don't let me do this for you, you can have no part with me. And Peter says, what? You, if you don't let me serve you, then I cannot partner with you. And he flips the script. You don't know what I'm doing for you, Peter. He goes on to say, Jesus says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Again, Jesus flips the script of what it means to be great. You see, the world tells us this, and listen, it's a game of semantics, but it's crucial to the way in which you choose to live your life. You see, the world tells us you become great when the people around you begin to recognize you. That's what the world tells you about your greatness. When you are recognized, you become great. But Jesus says, no, you become great when you recognize the people around you. You get that? The world says, when you become lifted up, then you become great. And Jesus says, no, when you lift up others, you become great. Society tells us that the world should serve us. And Jesus says, no, no, we were sent here to serve the world. And here's the thing. When you begin to do this, your greatness is recognized in the eyes of God, but it's also recognized within yourself. I'm telling you, when you begin to see the world around you equal to how you see yourself, or better yet, more than how you see yourself, there is a sense of joy that settles into your spirit. And so the question I want to address today is, what does God's greatness look like? What does God's greatness look like? I want to look at four key ideas this morning. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write some of this stuff down. I think, I think God really has a word in here today. The first thing is this. The first idea is God's greatness puts service over status. God's greatness puts service over status. In other words, when I walk into a room, I don't care about my position in the room. When I walk into a room, it doesn't matter if I'm the most important one in the group. It doesn't matter if everyone's talking about my story. Some of us have to retrain our brains to not focus on your position in the room, but your service to the room. If any of you have a position of influence at your work, if you're in a position of leadership, I'm telling you, the dynamic on your team will shift drastically if they know that you are for them. If you walk into the office on Monday and say, hey, what can I do for you? I've got people that I meet with that, that come to me to help run their departments here at the Gathering Church. And one of the questions I always want to ask is, hey, is there anything I can do for you to make your job easier? I'm telling you, if you have a position of power, if you use it to serve, your organization can run smoother. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's not just about the workplace. It's, it's bigger than that. Paul talks about this in his letter to the church of Philippi. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you 
to the interest of others? What does this look like in our lives? So, okay, I'm, I don't need to look towards my own interest. If we're doing this right, someone else is looking at your interest. But what does it look like for me to invest in the interest of others? Let's just get practical with it. I'm a husband. Let me just talk to the husbands in here this morning. Husband, if your house runs on your authority, if your house runs on your decision-making, you'd better be serving your family. You'd better be serving your family. Because if you're, if, you, if, you're, if you're leading with authority and not serving your family, there's going to become some resentment and a disconnect. I don't know that you are for me anymore. If you want to be the leader of your family, you'd better be the best servant in your family. Some of the men in this room, we can't figure out why there seems to be so much friction at home, why there seems to be so much tension at home, but could it be that we've used our authority to lord it over our family rather than to serve our family? And I'm no master at this. I, I struggle with it constantly. You know, I, my wife and I, we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary and constantly I'm looking at ways I have to remind myself, my, my, my goal is to see her goals come true. My dream is to see her dreams come true. You know, she's going to take care of me if I take care of her. She, I remember whenever we were making the decision to move up here to, to plant the gathering church. And I said, Chelsea, in order to take this job, I've got to say no to a really good salary. And I've got to start raising my salary. And she looked at, and I'll never, I'll never forget it. She looked at me and said, Robbie, I trust you. I trust you. You can lead your family with authority or you can lead your family by serving. What about parents? This is a big issue for parents. One of the great things about being a parent is my kids have to do what I say. It's great. It's, you know, it is so hard to, to serve our children when it's so easy to just to tell them what to do. <laughs> they don't always like it, but nevertheless, they have to do it. But what Chelsea and I are doing is we are learning that as our kids get older, uh, we have two seven-year-olds and a 13-year-old, and um, we, we've learned that as our kids get older, but two of our kids are adopted. Everybody says, well, you're doing the math. Well, you've been married for 10. Uh, you got a 13-year-old. Two of our children are adopted, and, 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 and so just so you know, I know you were wondering, like, what's going on here? Okay. We were, we were 10th grade in high school. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but what we're learning is as, as our kids get older, when I say, hey, Angel, you can't get a cell phone. It's no longer, yes, sir, I get it, I understand. No, it's, I'm going to pout my way through this. So what we've learned is, as our children get older, our leadership and authority has to be managed and developed because I don't want my kids to just obey my orders. I want my kids to know that my heart is for them. I want my kids to know that the reason I'm, I'm, I'm shepherding you in this area of even just a cell phone is because in 2019, what it means to have a cell phone is different than what it was when I was growing up, when Alltel was still around. Because you're going to be exposed to things that you're, quite honestly, not ready for. And so I want my kids to know that my heart is for them. In that situation with the cell phone, Angel eventually got his phone. But what we did is we used our heart and our authority to serve our children. Just last week, we had another opportunity where we almost messed this up. Angel was getting ready for middle school camp where they're actually on the way back now from a great middle school camp. And he walks out of the, the bathroom and he, he says, look at, check this out, Mr. Robbie. And I, I, he's got these little tacky looking beads in his hair. And I thought, 
All right, man, I know the goal of going to middle school camp is to get a girlfriend, and this is not helping you. You look like a goofball, man. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to love you. I'm just trying to, to care for you. And he, he just, you don't get it, Mr. Robbie. And he just, throw, he just throws out all the stops. And, 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 and Chelsea and I, you know how you can look at your spouse and you can have a whole conversation. And you're like, okay, we're going to get them. You're not wearing them, angel. We're not going to let you go to camp looking goofy. And so he goes into his room and he's upset. And Chelsea comes to the couch. We almost messed this up. We almost, we almost used our authority to lord it over our child. And so we're sitting there talking and we thought, this is the first time Angel's ever been to something like this. Are we really that worried about his hair? Isn't this week about his heart? And so Chelsea walks back into the room and she says, Angel, you know, these dreads look like little Cheerios in his hair. You just got to know I was right about this look. And she said, Angel, listen, you got to understand, listen, wear your hair however you want because this week's about your heart. And while you're away, we're not going to be praying for how you look. We're going to be praying for your heart. And in this week, God's more invested in your heart than your hair. You see, we almost messed it up. You, we've got to learn to use our positions of authority to serve people. Listen to this. If service is beneath you, and you may want to write this down. If service is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. Maybe write that down and put it in your, if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. If putting your spouse in front of you is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. If you want to lead your family, start serving your family. If you want to lead at your place of work, start serving at your place of work. The second idea is this. God's greatness puts character over convenience. God's greatness puts character over convenience. The way in which you view the people around you says a lot about your character. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke eloquently of this. He spoke passionately of this, and I think he spoke correctly of this idea. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this about the idea of convenience. He said, the response of human nature is one of convenience. That our go-to is what's less work for me. And he said it like this. This is the phrase of convenience. If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? If I stop to invest in this person, what will happen to me? In other words, if I stop to help my neighbor with their lawn, well, my, mine will get behind. Or if I, if I stop work to help on another project, I'll get behind on my project. And some of us, just, just to be kind of honest, if I join the dream team, then I'll have to get to service a little bit earlier than what I wanted to, you know? And then Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. goes on to talk about the response of character. He says, this is, the, this is how character responds. It says, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? What will happen to him? So I think that some of us have been placed in a position to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. And for some reason, we are choosing convenience over character. We're choosing what is easier over what is right. 
I want, I want to do something. As I was writing this week, and this idea of character came up, and I, I pride myself on not being the pastor that says I've got a four-point sermon and then turns it into a ten-point sermon. And so I pride myself on that. So I'm going to go ahead and let you know that I did do that this week. I'm not trying to trick you. But I think it's important to dive into this idea of character for just five minutes because we've got to learn to develop our character. We've got to learn a little bit about ourselves and about how we develop character. And so I was talking to someone this week about this idea and what I wanted to talk about in regards to character, about helping us to see if our character is struggling, and then maybe some ways to deepen our character. And they said, listen, Robbie, everything that you said sounds great, but it's not very spiritual. Everything that you said sounds great, but there's no Bible in there. And there's no, I don't know that this fits into a sermon. And I, you know, I take criticism fairly well. And so I just sat back and I started to think about what they were saying. And I just, I couldn't get over the idea that I think that God is looking for people of character to carry out their call. And I think that there's some of us in here who if we can make a small tweak in our lives, that, that the call on, God's, uh, on our lives from God can, can be seen more clearly in a step forward because a lot of us feel the call, but we don't have the character quite yet. There's something in us that needs to develop, something in us that needs to grow, and I think if we can identify these areas in our lives, so I think this is deeply spiritual. I think this is deeply connected to God's purpose for our lives. The first thing, if, if you feel like maybe your character is struggling, this could be something. And I've had to, I've had to I, God brought me this about a year ago, and I just, I've been working on it in, my, in myself for that time, and I'm still working on it. The first is this. There is a gap between your public life and your personal life. There's a gap between your public life and your personal life. You know what we tend to do in order to avoid working on our own character? We focus on the character of others. And here's how we do this. What we do is we, we judge others. We judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. Think about it. I judge me by what I wanted to do, but I'm going to judge you by what you did do. I, I know how I wanted to respond in this circumstance, but I didn't. But I know what my intentions were, so I'm going to cut myself some slack. And I'm going to hold you fully accountable to how you responded. And when we do that, when we cut ourselves some slack, when we begin to do that, we open the door of discontentment between who we are and who God wants us to be. And what we do is we stay where we are because we give ourselves a pass. And there becomes a disconnect. And this is, this is stuff I'm working on. Something else. Number two is you're hiding things. You're hiding things. Compromise eventually leads to cover-up. You can only hide things for so long before you have to take steps and measures to keep high. Compromise leads to cover up. You can only hide things for so long before you have to cover them up. Number three is this, and this is one that, that I still struggle with, is you fail to follow through on what you said. You fail to follow through on what you said. I don't want to let people down. And so I'll just give them the response that they need to hear. Hey, Robbie, I got an idea. I want to meet with you this week. Okay, that sounds great. We'll get together and I have forgotten that I just gave a commitment to this person, right? Because I want to tell you what you want to hear, so I'm going to say that, but I'm not going to follow through on, on what I said. And so one of the things that I've, these, there's small ways that we can begin to work on our character. That's a character flaw. If I make promises that I never intend on keeping, that's a character flaw. 
It's impacting the people around you. So one of the things that I've done that I felt, this is an area of conviction for me. And many of you know, yeah, I know it should be an area of conviction for you, Robbie. I've been trying to schedule a meeting with you for months, and you keep telling me that you'll do it. As I've said, hey, you want to meet with me? I want to meet with you. Can you do me a favor? It's Sunday. There's a lot going on. Can you text me or email me or both tomorrow, and we'll get something on the calendar because I value you, and I want this to happen. I'm still working on it, but I'm trying my best to follow through on what I said. Number four is this. You justify your bad actions and decisions. This is when we rationalize our behavior to feel better about our behavior. We rationalize, we shift the blame to the circumstances. Well, life is just so busy right now, so my marriage is struggling, but it's just, it's not my fault, it's life's fault, and life never slows down. So we shift the blame to the circumstances. Real quick, I just want to look through some ways that you can maybe deepen your character, and then we're going we're gonna to move right on. Number one is this, take responsibility. Take responsibility. Rather than assigning blame on outside circumstances, take responsibility for yourself. Own it. Some of us, some of us need to shake hands with ourselves. And and I'm not talking about the facade that we've created. I'm constantly having to check myself and say, Robbie, is this, are you, who you are in the dark, is that the same as who you are in the light? we got to shake hands with who we really are. Not the idea of us, but who we really are. What, what am I talking about? I think the best way to make this clear is when you type in a destination on Google Maps and you want to go there, you know the very first thing that Google does? The very first thing that Google does is it identifies where you are. Because it can't get you to where you want to go unless it has identified where you are. Some of us need to shake hands with ourselves about where we are. If you want to get to where the dreams that you feel God has for you, you need to understand and dig into the mess of where you are. And I get it. It's, it's, it's nasty and it's messy. And as you begin to know yourself, it hurts other people sometimes. I get it. I've been there. I've done this. And it hurts We've got to begin to identify where we are so that God can help us get to where we want to go. Take responsibility. Number two is make your talk match your walk. This is a tough one. This means that you have to become brutally honest about every area of your life. I can promise you, if you find one person that you respect, that you trust, and you get brutally honest about every area of your life, your motivation to move forward will grow. Because I can tell you from personal responsibility, uh, uh, personal experience, that I've had to meet with people who I said, I'm going to give you it all. I'm going I'm to give you the, the internet browser. I'm going to give you the accountability. I'm going to give you everything about my life. And I guarantee you, if you begin to open up about everything, your motivation to grow and to get better will grow exponentially. Because I'm tired of telling you my shortcomings. I want to share some wins with you. I want to share wins, not just losses. I think that we've got to start to get brutally honest. The third thing is this. Work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. Work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. You know, you can be the best, hardest working employee at your company, but if it's found that you've been stealing and cutting corners, your career could quite quite possibly come to an end. And so here's why character over convenience is so important. 
Your skills and your talents and your abilities can get you a seat at the table, but your character is what's going to keep you at the table. You know, your, your good looks and your, uh, your, 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 the way you present yourself can get you into relationship, but it's going to be your character that keeps you there. I'm just telling you, when you begin to work on your, char- your character, it's much easier to let go of the world's definition of greatness. When you begin to develop your character, your desire to be recognized by the people around you will shrink. And your desire to recognize and to make a difference in the lives of others will grow. It'll grow. The third idea that I want to talk about this morning is this. God's greatest put we over me. God's greatness puts we over me. I'm not thinking about what I can do. I'm thinking about what we can do. And why is this important? Because we can do more and we can do it better together than we can alone. I've heard it said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We see this idea in in the early church. Acts chapter 2 is when the church explodes. And we see right there in Acts chapter chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit gets involved in the situation. And 3,000 people get saved. And I want you to listen to what it says. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Can I just say something to you? You need a we. You need a we. For some of you, it's time to join a we. And you know what? To be honest, that may may not be here at the gathering. I get it. We are for the local church. But let me just tell you, if you can't find a we here, you need to go find you a we. We'll help you find a we. I was meeting with someone this week in, in our office who's been coming to the gathering church for quite some time, a few months now. And she's joining the dream team and she wanted to meet to kind of discuss her gifts and her talents and where she kind of feels like her purpose is and how she could serve the team. And she's going to start serving here in a couple of weeks and she's thrilled about it. And I could just tell that God had been doing something in her and she had this motivation that was a little bit contagious. And I just, I said, hey, can you just tell me about your gathering experience? Because I just, I just have to know it. I always tell people we're not the perfect church, but we are a good church, and I want to keep being good. And so tell me about your experience, and I want to, maybe we can do something better, but I just, I got to hear yours. And she stopped and paused, and, and, and she, she closed her eyes, which is kind of interesting when you're talking to someone. And she closed her eyes. She said, I, I trust you. I just got to close my eyes so I can talk about this. And, and she just began to tell me what what it's meant for her to be at a community that cares for her. And, and I, you know, I've been doing a lot of the preaching lately, and, and you know what she didn't do? She didn't miss, mention a message that I spoke. I was offended. She didn't talk about Sunday mornings. She didn't talk about the preaching. She shut her eyes, and with almost tears coming down her face, she said, I just joined a life group, and you just got to know, I've never, I didn't know that people could love me as much as these people love me. And you know what? I didn't know that I could love people as much as I love these people. She joined John and Nancy Thompson's life group. And she said, Robbie, I've been to church. I've done this whole thing. I didn't know that I could feel about people the way I feel. I care about their interests. I care about their lives. When I run into them, I say, no, how you doing? I'm doing good. No, no. How are you doing? And I just got to tell you, some of us, we need to join. You got to find your we. You see, when you join a we, 
Not only do you get to make a difference in the lives of others, but they get to make a difference in your life as well. And I just, I just want to point something out because it's, the, it's exactly what we're talking about. And I want, to do, I want to give a little bit of honor this morning. If you're in John and Nancy Thompson's life group, you just need to know that you're great. You are what we're talking about this morning. Why? Because this woman has been recognized by you. You have made her feel seen, and you have made her feel loved. Thank you for being great. Thank you for valuing the we over the me. Here's the last idea I want to talk about this morning. The fourth idea is this, is that God's greatest put worship over wealth. What does this look like? What, is it, what does it mean to put worship over wealth? You know, Jesus, he could have come and he could have become king just like the disciples thought he would and what would have made sense. He could have worn a crown, sat on a throne and become rich beyond their dreams. He could have pulled them up in positions of authority. He could have led from a position of power. He could have led from a position of wealth and authority. And I think he would have done a fantastic job. But instead, Jesus chose to lead from a place of humility. He led from a place of lifting others up, even if it cost him everything. So I'm talking about worship over wealth. And maybe for you, the wealth is not the, the finances. Maybe it's not the money, but maybe it's your identity. Maybe it's the way the world looks at you. Maybe you've got this whole greatness thing flipped on its head and you're recognized by many and you've got the Instagram followers and we're calling you an influencer for some reason. But what, 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 what God says is, I want you to be great, but I want you to worship me over the wealth. I want you to worship me. Let's just start with worshiping me more than you worship yourself. Let's start worshiping me over you worshiping the stuff. Jesus modeled this idea of greatness for us. The goal of life is not to be great. The goal of life is to make him great. The goal of life is not to accumulate stuff, but to give our lives away, just like the one we served did. You know, I don't, I don't and here's the, hear me. I don't think God is asking you to feel bad about the stuff you got. I don't feel bad about the stuff I have. I think he's asking you to position your life in such a way that your stuff doesn't keep you from seeing the need. Because what happens is as we accumulate the things, we can distract ourselves from the need. And, and what we do is we just say, I'm going to look at my life my world, my family, my position, my job, my, my desire to, to move up the ranks at work. I'm just going to focus on me. And what we do is our, our wealth becomes the only thing that we can see. And there's so much need and opportunity to be great around us, to recognize the people in your life. I think Jesus wants, to position our, Jesus wants us to position our lives in such a way that we can still see the hurt so that we can see our opportunity to make a difference in the lives of others. I think he's asking us to position our lives where your stuff is not with you so that others can recognize you. And so maybe, maybe that just is you, and as you start to get acquainted with yourself and shake your hand, you say, you know what? A lot of the stuff I have is so that people look at me a certain way. Maybe for you, there is a stuff check that you need to do and a heart check there. But you and I exist to make Jesus famous. That's it. I, I, I don't know God's specific purpose for your life, but I know, I know the big idea. 
And that's to make Jesus famous. You and I exist to choose Jesus over everything. Jesus chose us over everything. Would you, would you stand with me for just a moment? I want to conclude, and I just want to, I want to, I just want to paint a picture of what it looks like and why we serve, why we look at others, and why it's more important to look at others than it is for them to be looking at us. You know, I've thought about it a lot over the years, about what the appropriate response should be to Jesus. He gave it all for me. What, what is my appropriate response to Jesus who went to the cross for me? And the only reasonable explanation that I can come to is I should do everything for him. I should, I should be willing to sacrifice for him. Sacrifice is when you're willing to give up something that you love for something that you love more. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus loved his life. In fact, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to say, hey, any other way we can do this, I'd rather not go on the cross. Jesus loved his life. But he said, nevertheless, your will, not mine. And in that moment, Jesus chose you and me over everything. And some of us, that needs to settle into your heart and your soul and your core this morning. I've got to check myself often on this when I start to, to look at me more than I look at him. When I start to look at me more than I look at others. We've got to begin to see others the way Jesus sees us. The only reasonable response to what Jesus did on the cross by giving himself for me is to give myself to him. And I can't do this if I worship wealth over Jesus. I worship Jesus when I sing. I worship Jesus with my finances. I worship Jesus in the way I try to lead my family and the way that I try to care for people. But we talk about four purposes at the gathering and we do it until you're sick. But we want people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose and make a difference. And can I just tell you, the whole reason God wants you to know him is so that you can make a difference in the life of someone else. You just, that's, that's the picture that God wants to paint with your life. And it's going to look different. All of our portraits will look different. But the reason he wants you to know him is because he's got a calling on your life. And that calling is involved in making a difference in someone else's life. You become great when you utilize what Jesus did on the cross for you to start making a difference in the lives of others. The greatest expression of worship you can give to Jesus is making a difference in someone else's life. You know, I think, I think God loves it when we sing. I think God loves it when we raise our hands in worship. And I want us to do that big in just a few moments. But I believe and I know that the way that you worship Jesus now is important, but he cares more about how you're going to worship him tomorrow. Let's show, let me show you what I'm talking about. And I'll, I'll wrap. I'll, 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 we'll move into worship. But he says this in Hebrews chapter 13. Paul's writing in, in, in this is what he says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. He's saying, listen, we're going to worship him in song. We're going to worship him in praise, but we're going to move from intentions to actions. What if our intentions began to align with our actions? What if our intentions were the motivator for our actions and we were to worship Jesus on Sunday and we were to show him value by serving his people on, on Monday? 
We have to love each other. In fact, the way in which we love one another is our expression of love towards God. And so this morning, as we, as we close and we're going to move into a response time and, and worship time, my prayer and my heart for, for this morning and maybe this week as you're able to, to hopefully process some is that God will begin to show you the areas in which you're in your life in which the mirror is focused on you, right? And begin to challenge you and encourage you and even compel you. Say, it's not about me being recognized, but it's about me recognizing others. Let's pray. God, thank you so much this morning that You've given us a place to come and to to hear your word. God, I just pray that this morning that there's a small part of me that was able to step into your grace and speak life and speak opportunity. God, if there's conviction, I pray that there's also opportunity for change this morning. God, I pray over the heart that is hurting, the heart that that says, you know what, I'm not who I want to be. I've never shaken hands with myself. I've never identified where I am. I am I'm a hurting. God, I pray that you would, you would show them a light, God, that they can start to put one foot in front of another. And God, they would know that you are for them, that you are with them, that you've not left them, God, that they, they can begin to follow in your steps. In the name of Jesus, amen.